Strap one on, it's time to jam. Damn, this is a bad movie. Yep. This is every bit. This is every bit earned its reputation as a bad movie. Um, I think its reputation should be worse. Bonfire of the Vanities is a pretty notorious flop. Uh, it's there's a whole podcast about this movie and how bad it is and how awful it was to make this movie. And like several retrospect articles about how bad this movie is. And it's been like 33 years. So, and it just seems like a movie that should have been lost to time. Like fucking bonfire of the vanities. I, this movie came out when I was six and I was aware then how bad it was. Cause my brother, you know, took me to a lot of movies. He didn't take me to this one, but he would, you know, report back. He's like, Oh, I saw this. It was awful. So I've been aware since I was six years old and like critics hated it. People hate it. It's just this kind of notorious thing. And yeah, all of you were correct. Yeah. Uh, I think the only reason it hasn't been lost to the sands of time is because it has a stupidly good cast. <laughs> like in- what? How is it this bad? I don't it's- understand. This should have been a 1990s Dreamcast, not the underrated Sega system, but, you know, like the group of people yes, who collectively make up the actors in a movie. We also, I started to say this at the end of the last episode, for the first time, broke our rule and did not watch it together just purely so that we could each kind of make it background noise like I still registered everything that happened in the movie, but it definitely became more. I have to pretty mindlessly do this task. I'll, I'll have this on at the same time versus let's sit together and give it all of our attention. Cause to be clear, bonfire of the vanities does not deserve that. No, it like, and it's it's long and it feels and it, every minute as long as yes, it, it feels every agonizing second of it's like 125 minute runtime. But to go back, I had to pull it up to make sure I didn't miss any names. So obviously our headliners are Tom Hanks, Bruce Willis and Melanie Griffith. But then you have in supporting roles like Kim Cattrall and Morgan Freeman and like Kirsten Dunst apparently shows up real quick. I don't even remember that. She was, but she was Tom Hanks's daughter. She was like four years old at the time. Uh, okay, man. Also, for of all things, I had on the original Police Academy in the background the other day, and and Sam Kim Cattrall. That's if I could turn my face into a cartoon wolf, I would <laughs> do that right now. Because God damn it. Kim Cattrall is actually also maybe the only tolerable person in this movie. Yeah. She decides she's done and then she leaves and that was the right decision. Like like Melanie Griffith is 
I, I don't ever like everyone in this. Like it's Tom Hanks. And if you had asked me before this movie, like, has Tom Hanks ever given a bad performance? I'd at least have to think about it. Not for that long, because I don't think he's very good in Elvis. But now I have an immediate answer. I don't even think you can blame him. I don't think he was given material like that would make him less of just an insufferable human being. I have not read the novel. A big complaint is apparently they really soften the novel. Like the character Tom Hanks is playing in the novel is like apparently just a relentless asshole piece of shit. So Tom Hanks is not the first person that comes to mind when you cast that role. So clearly they Tom Hanks it up a little bit, but he's still kind of playing it as though he's, you know, in eighties comedy, like he's playing it like he's in big. So yeah. all of his line deliveries are like, <laughs> Melanie Griffith, you are incorrigible. Like, And that line comes back so many times. <laughs> that's why I kept saying it to I you. Know. <laughs> and like, but Melanie Griffith is performing the same way. There is a moment where she actually does like arm to head, like faint is like, that's not something that's Human cartoon theory. shit. That's how Bugs Bunny faints. What are you doing? It's we talked about it already, but it really did remind me of the player in that it's yep. this dubbed as a black comedy satire. And in, at least in the player, I understood like, OK, yes, I see what the satire is. Hollywood, you can get away with murder as long as your movies make money. I get it. You're not. It's sure. And you're doing an okay job of it but it i remember both of us saying like i don't even think it was a bad comedy it's just that i don't it didn't even seem like it was trying to be funny and i don't know who the audience for this movie is supposed to be like it's like it's social commentary but in a way that like seems like it's trying to like make fun of itself and the end takeaway is Ha ha ha, rich people can kill poor black people, and it's funny because racism. It's like, I don't know that it is, though. I guess we should sum up the plot, which is not very hard to do. Tom Hanks is a rich guy. He's cheating on his wife with Melanie Griffith. They take a wrong turn and end up in the Bronx, and there's black people everywhere, Sam. What are we to do? And the answer to that is uh, run over one of them accidentally when trying to speed off to get away from the black people. Um, Melanie Griffith is responsible for it, but Tom Hanks doesn't want word to get out that they're together, so he kind of takes the hit for it. And then there's this like prosecutor who keeps just prosecuting everyone who isn't a white person. So to prove that, like, he just really guns for Tom Hanks because, like, I got to get a white person guilty so people don't think I'm racist. And then Bruce Willis is this washed up alcoholic journalist who grabs onto it as a way to kind of resurrect his career. And, like, that's it, basically, is all these different people are trying to take advantage of this case for their own benefits and. It's just that. I mean, that's it. That's that's, that's the, the plot. plot. <laughs> and somehow they drag that shit out for over two hours. And 
to be clear, we hit the end of the movie and Bruce Willis is now a very successful author. Nothing bad, as far as I can tell, has really happened to Tom Hanks. Um, he's, Melanie yeah, Griffith he's just kind of disappeared. Maybe in jail, but like also maybe not because like she wasn't the one on trial. So unclear whether she suffered any consequences of her actions. Like so again, the the moral of the story is be rich and white, and it doesn't matter if you do crimes. Well, the moral of the story is laid out pretty clearly by Morgan Freeman in one of the most unintentionally hilarious scenes I have ever witnessed. So Morgan Freeman is the judge. And at first, he was my favorite character because every scene, it's just him being like, shut the fuck up in my court and cut that shit. I was like, it's already kind of weird to hear Morgan Freeman like cursing a bunch. But he was the only character that was like kind of any fun. Every other character thinks they're fun. But they very much are not. And the then lawyer, the... the lawyer pissed me off, man. Like, I just wanted to punt him into the sun. Like, he was very annoying. Sorry, yeah. I cut you off with my thought on that annoying little man. I'm actually, I'm really hoping his entire speech is on IMDb. <laughs> At the end of the movie, it pulls the classic they were being secret recorded and so they have a tape confession of melanie griffith very clearly saying like well i was the one driving the car and tom hanks plays it in court and she does that's when she does the like oh oh dear lord faint that no human being would ever actually do and then morgan freeman proceeds to get up and give the most like shame on all of you people and what you've done here today and because like someone calls him racist to be clear it's not actually because he gives a shit it's because he got accused of being racist racist you dare call me racist well i say unto you what does it matter the color of a man's skin if witnesses perjure themselves if a prosecutor enlists the perjurers when a district attorney throws a man to the mob for political gain and men of the cloth Men of God, take the prime cuts. Is that justice? Let me tell you what justice is. Justice is the law. And the law is man's feeble attempt to set down the principles of decency. Decency! And decency is not a deal. It isn't an angle or a contract or a hustle. Decency is what your grandmother taught you. It's in your bones. Now you go home. Go home and be decent people. Be decent. Now picture everything I just said. Being delivered by Morgan Freeman. Dramatically walking around a courtroom. With music behind him. Like he is delivering the most inspirational shit you've ever heard. It was mind bending to watch that scene play out. Because it has not earned at all and is so tonally against the weird madcap black comedy satire that the rest of the movie has attempted to be to all of a sudden at the end be like, aren't these all awful people? Go home and be nice to your grandma or whatever. It's just so crazy. Like you no movie, you don't get to do this. It's terrible. Like, it is just awful. Also, just just a moment. Okay, I'm back. 
the one at least nice thing that we can say about this is that Brian De Palma, who is the director, Brian De Palma's the shit out of this movie. Yeah, it looks nice. It looks nice. He does a lot of them. Brian, like it opens with a long ass tracking shot. And that's that De Palma goodness right there. Almost tricked me into being like, okay, well, this is at least going to be a professional movie. And it is, but every then everyone now is on the record as to saying, oh, yeah, this is this is like Morgan Freeman said, oh, I knew it was going to be bad when we were filming it. Uh, Brian De Palma said, like, yeah, we just did a very, very bad job adapting the novel. Uh, I think Tom Hanks is very miscast. I think I honestly I think Bruce Willis is pretty miscast. (laughs) Like, yeah, it's just it's not it's not good. And like, frankly, even the way it was filmed reminded me a lot of the player, which I think didn't help it. The fact that like we had already watched this movie that was objectively not great, that hit on largely the same tone and largely the same themes. But like at least that one, like the casting felt a little more. Tim Robbins is great in that movie. Yeah. Whereas I did not like watching Tom Hanks in this movie. No. Because, again, he's playing it... I don't know, weird. Like, that's all I can really say is... He's playing it very Hanksy. Like I read... Yeah, I read De Palma say that he should have got John Lithgow. I was like, yes! This seems like more of a John Lithgow role. Because, like, it's supposed to be kind of like a scummy dude. And you're not supposed to really be rooting for him but because it's tom hanks it's like i'm confused i should root for him and they're playing it like he's like i'm just a goofy guy in over my head but that's not no like you're cheating on your wife and you're treating her like shit and you're a liar and like you're stealing people's money like through your shady wall street deal like it's just it's not i don't know it's not it doesn't make for a believable character because she's he's tom hanks like i mean it's you know, at least when you get situations like he wasn't a good guy in uh, You've Got Mail, but like you can kind of root for him and see it like there's a decent guy underneath like all of that. There is not that here. Like there's just it's just Tom Hanks is playing a bad person and it's not believable and he doesn't do a very good job and it's too bad. There's that one scene I like where is it is it Kim Cattrall who's just basically like tearing dressing down is what his job actually is. When they're at the club. Yeah. I like that bit. Yeah. Like she she really was probably the only character in the movie I actually liked. So well done, Kim Cattrall. Because you came out of this pretty unscathed. Nobody else did. Even no. poor Morgan Freeman, who at first was like, well, at least I got this. It's like, oh, no, you might, go, you might come out the worst out of all of them. <laughs> and it's weird because it's one of his first roles. And it kind of reminded me how late in his life Morgan Freeman became Morgan Freeman. Because obviously in this movie, he's already that. like 40 something years old. I think it was, I mean, now I'm going to double check, but I remember seeing there's a law, a, a deep dive on this movie is very possible. And I do intend to listen to that podcast about what a disaster it was. Where is he? Where's my, there we go. Morgan Freeman. We're going to have to do a lot of scrolling because I don't know if you knew this, but Morgan Freeman's been in a lot stuff okay this is still like pretty like his i don't know how big of a role it was but apparently in 1964 he was in the pawnbroker 
Okay, so yeah, whatever I read, I was clearly confused because he was Maybe definitely he, he was definitely in a lot of stuff. So yeah, so never mind. I never said that. No one ever heard me say that. What are you talking about? He wasn't in Driving <laughs> Miss Daisy two years before this. What are you talking about? Cut that all out, Sam. Edit that out. <laughs> all right, I'll do that. This movie came out in 1971, so what I said is still true. Uh, yeah, like it's just how much like, like I said, there's apparently a whole podcast about how terrible it is. So if you need more, you can go listen to that one. But in terms of the podcast about watching every Bruce Willis movie, this is this is near the bottom. Yeah, I didn't see a world where we would get here and I would be like, I would rather rewatch the player. Like, yeah, by a large margin, I would rather rewatch the player. Would you rather watch in country? Oh, I feel Maybe? like in country, I could just kind of just let it wash over me and be like, okay, whatever. I can blank out. Like watching in country didn't necessarily make me actively like, oh my god, no, this, exactly. This did this was like I I am angry. Like I don't. As soon as that first scene started, and it was when I messaged you, like, oh, you're going to love this. The first scene between Tom Hanks and Melanie Griffith, where they're both like, well, I don't know about that. Well, I don't know. I was like, I don't think I can do this. Like, they're both, again, just playing it so cartoony and weird. And I think I like, messaged you that I hated this. And you asked if I had reached the first scene with him and Melanie Griffith. And I'm like, I'm not even there yet. Like, it was the scene where he's trying to basically gaslight Kim Cattrall into thinking that he wasn't so fucking stupid that he called his own phone number to try and reach Melanie Griffith and like his wife answered the phone like how how dumb do you have to be like I'm sorry but like at that point like already like nothing terrible has happened and I already feel like you deserve every bad thing that happens to you Tom Hanks yeah no like, this is a this is a bad movie it is uh, terrible floating near the bottom I'm sure we've watched one of his theatrical movies that was worse. I can't think of what it would be, though. <laughs> Let's see. I'm going to go pull up my list of everything we've watched and see if there are any that I can immediately name as like, no, this was worse than like in country was bad, but it, it was, was just it was just kind you of could like, laugh at it. Yeah, but it was also bad. And they just like. It's just kind of not very interesting to me way. No. No, exactly. Well, okay. There was North. Lay the Favorite. Which was like kind of a weird in-between movie, but... Yeah. And even Lay the Favorite, I feel like overall, like... If I had to pick between watching this again or watching Lay the Favorite, I think I'm still going Lay the Favorite because it's shorter. The Look Who's Talking movies would also win for that exact reason. Shorter. And everyone's playing it like the same because they're actually in a comedy. Yeah, North is maybe the only one where I'd have to sit and think about it. Yeah. Because that one, like the acting was almost as in some, maybe more like precocious. Probably more. There was that little fucking kid in his suit. I don't want to think about to. I do not want to think about it. We got to the end of that movie and you were wishing death on that kid. And like, I, that was, I, that was a big deal. I do not wish harm on kids in any movies except that kid. If the movie had ended with Norm just 
North just stabbing him in the throat and going, this is what you get. Now you're going south to hell. I would have been totally fine with it. (laughs) All right, let's check out the box office, even though we know it's bad because that's part of this movie's reputation. Uh, It came out December 21st, 1990, Christmas, Sam. They wanted everyone to venture out over their Christmas holidays, devote precious hours of their free time over the holiday break to Bonfire of the Vanities. And do you know what movie this opened against? I do not. Don't. Was it Ghost? No, Kindergarten Cop. Okay. Like, that's that's a goddamn Christmas movie right there. I don't know if it takes place over Christmas, but it feels like more of a, hey, the Terminator's got a comedy. Let's go. Uh, yeah. But uh, crushing the competitions at that time was Home Alone, mm. which had already been out for six weeks, which seems kind of crazy because that means it came out like early November. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it actually gained theaters in its sixth week. So that's how much of a juggernaut that movie was, uh, followed by Kindergarten Cop. Edward Scissorhands, hmm. Dances with Wolves, Look Who's Talking to, something called The Russia House. I don't know that one. And then coming in at seventh, Bonfire of the Vanities, then Misery, Three Men and a Little Lady, and Mermaids. I have done podcast episodes on half of that top ten. And that's kind of crazy. And then Ghost in 11th, which I've also done a podcast episode on. I'm glad right. that at least I was in the right range. Can we give... I was not positive very that I close. even had the right year for Ghost. So I feel like I'm patting myself on the back. That was a good guess. Oh, this will be a quick one. It's gone the next week. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. We're done. This is back in the... Like, they didn't track box office to the extent they apparently do now. But if this is to be believed... It, no, this can't be right. Because it's showing in 12th place was Predator 2 with half a million dollars. There's no (laughs) way Bonfire dropped that quick, but it ain't here. Home Alone in its seventh week made more than its previous week, but I guess also it probably got a big Christmas boost. Yeah. So now I just need to know, when did Home Alone not, when was it not the number one movie? How long did it take? Still is, still is, still is, still is. There we go. It took until February 8th. For Home Alone to no longer be the number one movie. It was dethroned by Sleeping with the Enemy in L.A. Story and almost by The NeverEnding Story 2, the next chapter. What was the word to see Home Alone in January? Apparently many millions of people. Wild. Didn't the second Home Alone come out exactly a year later? That means there probably wasn't even a huge gap between one leaving theaters and the other one showing up. Because I'm into March now, and it's still there. It's still in the top ten, and I'm in April, Sam. Now we need this. Guess what? This episode is now about (laughs) when Home Alone gets out of the top ten. We're now into almost May. It's in 12th now. It took until almost May for Home Alone to leave the top ten. Home Alone 2 was 92, by the way. Okay, I for some reason thought it was a year later. Absolutely wild. Well done, Home Alone. Less well done, Bonfire of the Vanities. Bonfire of the Vanities did exactly as well as it deserved. You are no Home Alone. 
Good movie, says this IMDb review. This was a good movie. I have read many reviews that people thought it was awful, but in my opinion, it was good. There was great casting. Disagree with that. Melanie Griffith was irritating at times, but that was the way of her character, so she was great at that role. This is a movie I would recommend for teenagers and adults only, considering that there is cussing and the overall moral of the movie. I don't know, Sam, it sounds mean, but I feel like it's easy to write off any review that includes, I don't think this is this is what age-appropriate groups should be watching this movie. It's like, nah. No. I'm done with what you have to say about that. All right. There's a one-star review on Letterboxd. The big courtroom finale of this has to be one of the most embarrassing, misguided, shit-headed sequences <laughs> ever produced for a Hollywood movie. I agree with everything that person said. Yes, it was. <laughs> like I couldn't believe it was happening. This feels like it was out of a completely different movie. And if I was Morgan Freeman, I would have been like, I can't. I don't want to do this. I can't do this. Uh, oh. All right, Sam, uh, pick a number and I'll see what movie is attached to that number. Okay, I. Well, five? Was that? It's, okay, let's see what happens when I look at number five. Fire with fire. What a surprise. <laughs> In fairness, we haven't watched it, but yes, we did know it was coming. Yeah. So let's see. I'm already on IMDb. So let's look up fire with fire. We'll do letterbox since I'm already not even at. the first match playing with fire. The John Cena firefighter comedy. So on IMDb, it's got a 5.6, which I feel like for one of these movies is easily. Yes. A nine, which Two is kind of nuts. 2.3. On Letterbox, yeah, which isn't so bad. To me, this feels like something. Well, okay, I was gonna say it feels like something Bruce won't be in that much, but in the photo section for the movie, there's three different photos, and he's in three different outfits, so we know we're getting a little bit. Um, I mean, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say this movie is about firefighters. I don't know what they'll be doing. I still feel like there's a siege element. I'm going to say it's like Die Hard in a burning building. Yeah. Yeah. Which sounds uh, like way too much for a movie with like probably no budget, but. Well, at the same time, though, like, I don't know if you're looking at the cast, but you've got Josh Duhamel. You've got Rosario Dawson. We've got Vinny D'Onofrio is back again. Oh, Vinny Vinny Jones. We've got Vinny. Oh, that's okay. I'm excited now. Oh, that double dose of Vinny. Vinny squared, we call it. Julian okay. McMahon's name sounds familiar, not just you know for the obvious reason, but I feel no, like was, I've, uh, I've was, seen him in stuff. He was in Charmed. He was the... Eric Winter looks like a very generically handsome white guy. Got a weird Dean from Supernatural thing going in this picture. What did the director do? Let's see. Literally David... nothing. Like oh, it's actually incredible. Yeah, he's produced. No, wait, he's got 53 directing credits. Letterboxd shows me two movies. There's this and something oh, called The Guardian yes. Angel. Because it's a whole lot of TV. There was uh, a True Lies television show? Well, he directed an episode of that this year. He has done 57 episodes of Blue Bloods, which, Sam, I'm sorry to say, just announced that after 14 years, they're going to wrap it up. So tell your tell your parents... Yeah, I was going to say, I'm, that's a very mom show, isn't it? Yeah, like... my, my parents love fucking Blue Bloods, so. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, like a bunch of episodes of The Mentalist and Arrow and Under the Dome. And I mean, you know what? He's still working. So that's cool. Oh, he did an episode of Supernatural. So there you he go. He started off as a stuntman. So uh, I guess I'll also pop over to Rotten he was, Tomatoes. He, was, he did stunts for Dante's Peak, which, as you know, is my favorite movie of all time. I remember when we did that episode, you were like, I'm just he so also- happy I get to watch this again. <laughs> he also did stunts for Volcano. <laughs> That kind of feels like it shouldn't be allowed. 7% on Rotten Tomatoes. So I'm coming down a little more after seeing that. But uh, what, is, what did critics know? Yeah, it's just a lot of this is super generic. Violent, obnoxious, and forgettable. I don't know. I like that first word. One Breathtakingly dumb. <laughs> If action what? B movies are your thing, then this is just about worth searching out. Well, they are. So <laughs> we're in for a treat. One and a half stars. What kind of white hetero nonsense? That's the whole review. <laughs> um. All right, this is getting into plot stuff, and I don't want to see that. So yeah, next is Fire with Fire, which yeah, I'm I'm ready to go back to the the world of direct to DVD. Yeah, I think it'll be a I need good to, time. I need a 90-minute mindless action movie after 125 minutes of Be Decent. Well, actually, no, 90 seconds of Be Decent surrounded by 125 minutes of kind of be shitty. It's fine. Be shitty, but we're going to tell you that you should be decent. But also, we've shown that the outcome of this movie is that everyone continues to be complete everything wipes yeah society, everything works so. out fine for all the shitty people but maybe don't be shitty but i don't know but there are no consequences so do whatever you want morgan freeman is not your parent i guess i wish he was um sorry mom and dad that was mean merry christmas <laughs> um and i guess also die hard 2 is coming up because yep. at Christmas time, we just get to cheat and watch that. So actually, I'm pretty excited about Die Hard 2. So yeah. And then who knows what the future will bring? I mean, Bruce Willis movies. So us and you. Keep celebrating those Willises. Yeah. Keep keep celebrating those Willises. Cool. I can't talk anymore, Sam. Sam. <laughs>